Sometimes you choose courage, and at other times it's forced upon you. Courage Unraveled is a podcast series where you get to listen to insights, discussions, conversations, and stories from people from all walks of life. You'll be served with dollops of courage, resilience, and strength here. So come along and be educated and inspired. You just may find new ways to flex your own courage muscle. My name is Sana Turnock, and I'm your host. What do you do when you start to see your child move into the space of an eating disorder and you really are unsure what the outcome will be? My guests Sarah and Greg Brown found themselves navigating uncharted waters when their daughter Molly was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa at 15 years old. Anorexia nervosa rocked their family foundations as it pervaded fundamental day-to-day living and impacted everyone's life in the household. Sarah and Greg share a parent's perspective of going through such a challenging time and coming through to the other side. It's a real privilege to be able to share these inspiring podcasts of courage with you. The work undertaken takes many hours to put together and is self-funded. You can support the podcast series by becoming a patron and receiving access to patron-only specials and exclusives. Choose the tier that suits you. The Courage Journal is a fantastic adjunct to these podcast stories. Do you want to start flexing your own courage muscle? Then grab your very own journal. Visit courageunraveled.com to find out more about the journal and how you can become a Courage Unraveled patron. Now, let's hear Greg and Sarah's experience. I caught up with them by phone. Greg and Sarah, welcome to Courage Unraveled. Oh, thanks, Sana. Thanks for having us here. Thank you, Sana. Hello. Hello. Let's start off by creating a sense of the family environment for the listeners. So you have two children, Molly and Felix. Describe what kind of home that you set up for both of them growing up. Really loving home, actually. That was our intention. Fortunately, we'd come from similar families. We had very similar values as far as what we wanted to create. Sarah and I are creative, so the kids went to Steiner schools and a lot of the philosophies that the school shares with families came into our home. We, we did have a sense of reverence for family. The kids were pretty happy and more than anything, we really loved spending time with each other. So family was a strong component of the Brown household. When did you and Sarah start to notice that things weren't quite right with Molly and her relationship with food? Was it a surprise? notice apart from her serving you food? Also, were there any physical changes? What was going on before it was diagnosed and came out was 
that she is having panic attacks. She was really depressed. Her hearing was out. She was really sensitive to sounds in the classroom, so that would become overwhelming. We'd be in the next room and someone would be tapping the lighter sound that would be echoing in her head. All those things weren't directly identified to an eating disorder, but obviously things felt really out of control for her, and maybe that's where it came about. We'll never know why she got this, because she was very happy, well-balanced, and comfortable with who she was before this. So it did come as a surprise, because what our understanding of anorexia was before this was nothing to what we were actually experiencing, and it almost felt a bit different to what we kind of perceived it to be to when she was first diagnosed. Was she diagnosed when she was 15? Yes. That's so, right, yeah. So was she diagnosed with, with anorexia? Yeah, anorexia nervosa. So how did Molly respond when you actually started asking her questions about what you were both observing in her? I think all of us were discovering at the same time the eating disorder. She had sort of fixed behaviours, but they certainly came about as soon as she was diagnosed with it. The conversations came about of us trying to understand where she was at, and she was always fairly open with us, but it, once the eating disorder becomes more in control, she became more contained in not sharing. You had to pick your time to have those conversations with Molly and went to have those conversations with the eating disorder. We had to really sort of separate them. You know, she was pretty giving in those times where we could actually see part of Molly. When did you end up deciding that you needed to seek some professional assistance? About three months earlier, but we were also sort of looking at gut work and we were kind of looking at it in a very holistic manner at that time, but had also looked into mental health and then had got referred on because it was beyond where we were at. And then she was diagnosed. It all sort of came at the same time, the actual eating disorder part. And I guess anxiety and, and depression are, are symptoms of anorexia as well. And the panic attacks, we would always um, look for alternatives but prior to being medicated. That was a real fear you know, for, for us. Sarah and I were really blessed that we had, you know, some alternatives and friends that would help in that area. But it soon became clear that there was something a lot more going on that gut work or horse therapy could did the horse therapy work? There were certainly little moments that were really powerful for her in the sense of she was scared of horses as well. It was a girlfriend that worked with her that said, I have the same fear and I want to work through it with you, so let's do it together. But things like where she'd have to balance a horse on sort of like a big door and, you know, that thing that she just kind of understood that she had to kind of calm herself, be grounded for the horse to not feel anxiety. And I think that kind of animal relationship of calming yourself for another animal especially such a big beast as a horse was a powerful experience at the time she was saying it's not helping or you know she's not getting much out of it but there'd be little bits that she would she would come to and um that were really beautiful imagine that would have been quite a powerful time for sure working with a horse yeah. i think that was really special in itself having another woman that's not your mother come in and go i want to share a really powerful experience when you're feeling vulnerable and I'm going to show my own vulnerability too. It sounds like you had open channels of communication, which was really positive. It's also just the beginning of us really understanding a long journey with mental illness. One of the best healers is community and when the community comes. And for Sarah and I, that became 
one of our greatest challenges. The support network, Greg? That's right, forming one and letting people know what they can do to help. We were asked that, but we really didn't know what we needed. We weren't very helpful when it comes to actually letting people know because the eating disorder is not welcoming. It's very protective and Molly let us know really early that she didn't want people to know about this. And that is dangerous. It thrives on secrecy. Then I guess also sharing and having people not understand what we're experiencing meant we were also educating, which became really much bigger than we had on our hands anyway. This is a big thing, not only for Molly, you know, because she's going, clearly going through it, but also for yourselves. What was going through your minds, perhaps individually, and what were you discussing together to try and help her through? If, if you take it to the time when we were told that Molly had anorexia, one of my first questions, I came home from that mental health meeting with Sarah, Molly and myself. I rang that unit back and I said, can you tell me how long it takes to get through this? I needed to have an understanding of that. And they said, well, it could be 18 months that you're refeeding your, your child. I kind of, I felt like, all right, well, let's do that then. That's the chapter in, in a life. Um, so let's open that chapter and get into it. We were sent home with a bunch of brochures, maybe a couple of website links. There was just so much to learn, so much unknown when it comes to this illness. It was a long time learning that, you know, just really getting our heads around it. On a really practical level, we... When you're diagnosed with this, the most evidence-based treatment is family-based treatment, which meant we were sent home to become professional in getting her better. So we had one hour a week where we were almost trained, but otherwise we were eight hours a day refeeding her. We always want to do the right thing about your children, but this was asking me to parents in a totally different way and asking a much bigger um, ask of myself in how we were going to change our family, get her better and get her back. There was fear, terror, that terror for us, especially at night time of going, how are we going to get through tomorrow, was really challenging and really vulnerable. It actually takes a long time for that realisation that this does kill people and that it is in your hands, it's in your family's hands. That took a long time for us um, to, mm. to get that. And when we got that, we were on board fully and it was a slap in the face to yeah. know that okay these health professionals are telling us as Sarah said that that we're going to be the health professionals you know in our own home based on family-based treatment what you normally do in life you know catch up with friends go to work all those sort of things just stopped just so that we could mentally cope with the exhausting nature that anorexia nervosa has on a, on a family. I don't know how a single parent would do it. You mentioned the medical professional giving you some basic tools. One could say that they're empowering you to take care of your child, but also I guess to me that also is an indicator that they actually don't really know what to do. I mean, is that a fair comment? Look, I think there's a long way to go, but they definitely help on how to refeed, the language that's used around it. So... We were really well looked after in the support that we had. There was a lot of learning we had to do ourselves and a lot of learning, for example, where they'd say you can't take her shopping anymore. So we couldn't take her in shops and things like that to understand. It's just those little subtleties that you just couldn't imagine.
having your child come into the kitchen anymore. Mm. Just, you were learning with them of how we needed to get her better. So that was an intervention and a strategy to help her get better. You had the, the counsellors coming in or the health professionals come in? Yes. Yes, okay, then you had what you were doing? Yes, yeah, so once a week we were having family therapy with it, so it would be going through how she went in the week, how we were going in the week, and then we had once a week medical, and then we had with the doctor, and we had paediatrician, and then a dietitian, but not that frequently. There was a big umbrella of care that was required to help us and help her. So we weren't doing it alone, that is for sure. No. Um, but okay. it was all consuming on our end. How long did you go through this for? I get asked a lot by families how long because that's the most commonly asked questions that families want to know. It was 14 months until she was weightless born. With family-based treatment, it's usually done in three phases. Phase one is when she was weight restored and then you gradually begin to get her back in to make food choices yourself. But I feel like it was probably four years because there were subsidies that carried on from there and she didn't want to go get help so we were helping her on those final stages because she didn't want to talk about the eating disorder anymore. It was over year nine and year ten that she probably only had one week of schooling on both those years. She was weight restored by the end of year ten and then she went back to school year 11 and 12 and completed it. So they were really challenging years on a personal level because she'd missed out on so much individualism and schooling. She still had a lot of eating disorder thoughts, so that gives you an idea of that time frame. It probably wasn't until mid-last year that we really saw her really coming into her own again. Was there a point where you realised this is really serious? Yes, many, many points. Okay. Because, yeah, we, we really had moments of, you know, obviously being hospitalised a couple of times, that's the measure of being medically unwell, but also her state of mind. You know, when you have that sense of mortality on a day level, whether she was going to survive it or not. One of the clinicians asked Molly, look, here's a scarf. It's lying on the table in front of you. Can you just just spread it out so you, you can show us how big you think your waist is? Molly's waist at that point was really little. This scarf would have been the size of a Pilates ball. You come across a photo that she's taken in the mirror and she's always wearing loose baggy clothing. So you don't really know what's going on under those clothes. And to see the skeleton that's hidden, that's when I realised this is so serious and and so frightening. Do we have the ability to help her? There's a lot of self-blame, which is apparently it's really normal. It's only natural, I suppose, when you see that you're the one that's really in control of helping her put that food in her mouth. It's hard not to, it's kind of hard not to take that flight a little bit. So with that, I remember when Molly went to hospital the first time, I cried for two days because I felt that it meant that I couldn't look after her and that she'd got un, that unwell. And I know, now know differently that I really needed to rest and yeah. we all just need to rest and she needed to have extra care. But that sense of what your role of a parent is with the child going through this is enormous. Did you do any self-care for yourselves? I have lots of conversations with families about self-care. It's an interesting one because self-care can be that view of having a massage or for me it was walking the dog or having a cry in the shower and just that was my space. I had a girlfriend that came up and started weeding the garden when she knew Greg would be home just 
for half an hour. Those moments are measurable. Things are really positive now. Molly's 21. She's turned a corner, turned a big corner, and she's well, right? She's so well. When she finished year 12, she scooted off Asia for four months, and from that point she came home, she moved in with a good friend, and she's really healthy. I mean, she feeds herself really well. It, it took a while for us to have the trust. Yeah, trust is a big one when it comes to anorexia and coming back, but she's doing really well. That's wonderful to hear. Moving on from that, Eating Disorders Families Australia was set up in 2018. What was your involvement with that? We were asked to do a film for their fundraising to get it off the ground. Since then, they've been going great guns and they've brought speakers out from the US to bring to families and started support groups across Australia and advocates for other families that are going through similar experiences. With this event that's taken place that's really rocked the foundations for everyone, how has it strengthened you all? The strength that came from living through it with, with the family has come to finding a voice, my voice in particular, I don't know about Sarah, but I find it easier to, to use my voice now and to let people know where I stand on things. I think it's an interesting thing about finding the strength and I guess sort of really sitting with that of what strengths I've naturally sort of acquired over time or whether it's from that experience. But I guess the strength from that experience is when we're in it, we're saying if we can help any family on the other side, we are more prepared to help. Certainly wouldn't be getting up and speaking in front of people if I hadn't had that experience. So I guess that has given me a strength. I'm now working with family care consultants, supporting families and advocating for families in the mental health service in Melbourne. There's only two or three in Victoria and it's very new within services. So I feel really honoured to be able to speak to family. Sometimes I get off the phone and have such a full heart just to know that if I had had that conversation when I was in it, it would have just given me some extra strength to keep going. To be courageous means to face the fear of the unknown, to be open to suffering and vulnerability, to be resilient, show strength and grit. Do you think that Molly has been courageous? Absolutely such an interesting word to unpack as equally as being courageous sits vulnerability and you know in her most vulnerable moments I just am so proud of her being courageous just to keep that will of hers alive and her capacity to keep going through it all and also to have a really strong sense of herself now. Listening to the both of you today you both have opened up you've stepped up you've been willing to have a conversation Today, you've been vulnerable, you've shown your strength, your grit, your resilience. You know, I think you guys definitely fit that characteristic of being courageous. Do you think you have? Or do you think you are? When we were in it, it didn't feel like we were being courageous at all. It's just what you've just got to step up and do. And you hear people get bravery awards. You know, you hear people sort of say, well, that's just what I had to do in that moment. Looking back, for me, encouraged us with vulnerability and and we all were really vulnerable and even now feel vulnerable in situations of opening ourselves because it was so close for us during that experience asked of us to be courageous. Well I'd like to say thank you very much to, to both of you for 
coming on to Courage Unraveled because that's what you did do today. You unraveled your courage by sharing. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for putting Courage on a platform. It's really inspiring. Thanks for the inspiration. Please seek assistance from an appropriate healthcare service or healthcare professional near you if this story has brought up a response or reaction that requires professional attention. If you are a parent or guardian concerned about your child, please connect with your local mental health unit or hospital to gain information on your nearest eating disorder health service. Eating Disorders Families Australia is the association mentioned in this podcast. To view the excellent short film Greg put together for EDFA, please visit his website. Go to courageunravel.com to find his and the EDFA's contact details. I'm Sana Turnock, your Courage Unraveled host. Until next time.